Good morning. Yes, the beard is off. That's what the difference is. So let's turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, we're going to get to it a little bit later in the morning, but uh, you can put your finger there. Open it up. So we have been <clears throat> looking at the body is not one member, but many members, and we've looked at 13, well, not quite, but we've looked at a number of the um, spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to his church, and uh, we're on number 14 on our list. If you still want a list, raise your hand up, and Michael and Mary B. Marion or somebody could uh, pass out the list for you. So number 14 on our list, that's where we left off last time, is the gift of showing mercy. The gift is alive with action. It's not just having mercy, but it's demonstrating it, it's showing it. So what is mercy? <clears throat> mercy is showing kindness to people who really don't deserve it, who really don't merit it. And so I want to ask you, as you think about this gift, the gift of showing mercy, do you feel pity for those who are in need and cannot repay you? Do you feel pity for people like that? The gift of showing mercy is a special gift. And I am sad to say that it is the one gift that seems to be the most foreign to me. And I look at people who have this gift and I think, man, I am so unlike them. And um, that's not a good thing. In all likelihood, my father and my mother had this gift or have this gift. My father's still living. But unfortunately, spiritual gifts are not inherited by birth. Okay, just because I was born of them I don't get their gifts. I have to be born again, and then the Lord, by his own sovereignty, gives me the gift of his choosing. And um, they're not inherited at birth. They're given by the Spirit of God upon salvation. I think of my dad. I am now 60 years old. In the past uh, weeks, I turned 60. And my dad, uh, when I was born was asked to go, and I've told you this story, he was asked to go into a children's hospital. This was a, they used to call it a crippled children's hospital. And it was a place where parents could, if they wanted to, abandon their own children. These are children were born with um, all kinds of terrible, terrible birth defects and, uh, and had sicknesses. And they were given the right to drop their kids off and never return. And many of the parents did exactly that. 60 years, so my dad was asked to go into um, this hospital one Sunday with the guy who had a little ministry there, and uh, he said, hey, Arden, would you like to come into the hospital with me? And, and he said, I teach Sunday school to these kids. And dad said, sure, I'll come. So he went that Sunday, and after it was over, the guy said to my dad, <clears throat> so what would you think? Dad said, oh, I just loved it. Uh, th this was one of the greatest experiences of my life. He said, would you like to come back? He said, sure. He said, when? He said, next week. And dad said, okay, I'll be here next week. 
the guy that invited my dad to go to the children's hospital died that week. And my dad has carried on the work ever since, 60 years. The gift of showing mercy. And I still remember my dad. My dad can't sing, and he'll admit that freely. <clears throat> but I, I went in several times with him, uh, and he would go and gather the children in wheelchairs or in hospital beds and push them to this great uh, auditorium type of a room. It wasn't that big, but it was like where they used uh, for lunch and stuff like that. And, and the kids would be squawking and hollering, and, and, and a lot of it was just part of their disease or part of their sickness would cause them to, to cry out like this. And here he is trying to teach Sunday school to kids who have serious mental problems and serious physical problems. And he would, um, you know, one of the kids would be squawking. And so he'd go over to still telling his story, the Sunday school story, and he'd wheel the kid up to the front and he would be wheeling him back and forth, pushing him back and forth in the wheelchair as he carried on his story. And it was enough to calm the kids down. And I think, wow. It would be so distracting to me. Somebody sneezes in a meeting and I get distracted. <laughs> and here he was, and he, he would go and, and uh, work with the kids this way. It's, it's the gift of showing mercy. Mom and dad went <clears throat> to various prisons for 35 years. Um, you know, I, I think of the kids in the hospital. These are kids that were abandoned. Many of them were abandoned by their own parents. And here, my dad is going in to, to serve them. My parents went into prison for 35 years, and here are people that you would never invite to your Sunday dinner table. You know, a lot of these people were pretty wretched people in, in their crimes, you know. And mom and dad would go and visit them, have Bible studies with them in the, in the uh, prisons. And then as these guys would get out of prison, sometimes they would invite them to our home. And they would live with us. I remember growing up with prisoners in my home. And, and uh, people would say, well, you know, who lives at your place? Well, my sisters. And who else? Well, a couple of prisoners, you know, an ex-murderer. You know, I mean, these are people that, that they open their home and their life to. They showed mercy to the rejected, the disowned, and to criminals. Dad can no longer drive at night, and so he doesn't go out to prisons anymore. So my sister, who works in an um, elderly care facility as the <coughs> head cook, said, hey, Dad, why don't you come and, and visit the, um, the inmates <laughs> here at the hospital? And so Dad has been going in twice a week to, to visit, and he makes his rounds. And some of the people don't want to hear from him, but... He loves them anyway and, and shares the gospel with them, and um, he's enjoying the, the work there, making rounds and ministering to patients on two floors of the facility, some of whom are in states of dementia and who are dying, some who can rarely talk to him. It's the gift of showing mercy, and I did not inherit that, and it's, it's something that I really long to, to demonstrate more and more, but it's the gift the Spirit of God has given to them. Showing mercy is helping those who are in distress or in great need. You know, many times Christians um, get themselves into trouble. They fall into sin or into sin trouble or into sinful practices. And many people struggle with uh, addictions and yet they long to be free. 
A person with the gift of mercy will come alongside of a person like that and uh, those who are troubled and will help them. The gift of mercy requires a tremendous amount of patience, uh, long-suffering, and it cannot be faked. You cannot fake the gift of mercy. It just, it, it's not fakeable. Showing mercy is helping those who are in distress. And I, I'll just say this, if this is your gift, you will see people in a different way than I see people. You will see people who are filled with fears and with cares, and you will long to help them. You'll long to step in and do something about it, um, to help them who suffer from doubts and despair. Your cheerful heart will be like medicine to them. A cheerful heart doeth good like medicine, a merry heart, I think it says in the Proverbs. You'll help doubting and discouraged believers. A person with this gift visits the sick, encourages the faint-hearted, and gives hope to discouraged believers. Um, It's likely that one who has the gift of showing mercy will also pass through very deep waters themselves. And the reason I say that is that those that I see who have the gift of mercy, or the gift of showing mercy, have, all, have often struggled themselves with, with very deep uh, trials. And um, in doing so, <clears throat> the Lord has come alongside of them and has helped them. He has comforted them. And the Bible tells us that the comfort that we have received from the Lord uh, is meant for us to, not just to be comforted or to be comfortable, but to be comforters. And so the idea there is that the Lord will often allow a person who has this gift to go through deep trials themselves so that they might become comforters to others who are also going through uh, these trials and that they can supply them with the comfort that the Lord has given to them. So I'm going to ask you, do you find yourself attracted to the struggling saints, to the weak and to the straying ones? Do you have the ability to embrace them? and bring them back into the fold? Is your life a reflection of the good Samaritan who sees a need and he doesn't look at the need and go to the other side and pass by, but he comes alongside and says, look, this guy's in deep trouble, and even though he's an enemy, I'm going to help him, and pays for his lodging, pays for his health care, pays for everything. It's an expensive gift to have. I'll tell you that right now. And it's not always appreciated even by those that you seek to help. But if you have the gift of showing mercy, use it. Because it's a gift that is sorely needed. I will tell you that. And I'll say this too. You'll never run out of something to do. You'll always have the ability to show mercy. Much needed gift. And we can certainly pray that the Lord will give it to us here at Calvary. All right, the next gift is the word of wisdom. Um, Bible teachers debate whether this gift is still active today. Some believe that the gift was only given to the apostles and the prophets. And if this gift refers only to new revelation, in other words, as the Bible was being written, God gave new revelation and that was the word of wisdom, 
so if the gift refers only to new revelation, then, then those Bible teachers are correct. This gift passed or this gift ceased when the, when the scripture was completed. Now, there are others, other Bible teachers, who agreeing that there is no new revelation today, they believe that this gift is seen in men and women who apply the already written word of God to specific circumstances in believers' lives. The fact that wisdom, the same word, is used throughout the New Testament suggests that the gift may still be active. For example, one of the qualifications of deacons in the church is that they must be men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Stephen, the first martyr of the of the church, spoke with wisdom and the Spirit, it says in Acts 6.10. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1.17 for the church at Ephesus was that they might be given the Spirit of wisdom. And Jesus promised that this would be given in a coming time to those who are persecuted for their faith. He says, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And so it seems to me that, at least in a secondary sense, if not still in a primary sense, the gift is still um, enjoyed today. And I want to ask you, is this your gift? Is this your gift? If you enjoy reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God and thinking of how the Word of God applies to each member of the body and how you might be able to share that wisdom with others for their growth and for their benefit and their edification, then this might be your gift. If the Lord gives you special insight in how to help the body to mature, this might be your gift. If you are able to give sound, godly counsel, or you can give insight into how to resolve conflicts, you know, like Solomon did when those two women came to him and both claimed that the baby was theirs or the others. And he says, well, just easy. Take a sword, cut it in two, give half to each. Okay, That's a wisdom that came from God and it solved the, the issue immediately. Maybe this is your gift. If you have the ability to defend the faith, oh, it's, it's hidden, so I'll read it to you. exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's Kathy's uh, design, right? You did that, right? Yeah. So behind the screen is is that defense. Um, The Bible talks about us giving a reason for the hope that is within you. Maybe you're able to do that in in um, in an effective way as you talk to people about the Lord. Maybe this is your gift. If believers come to you for wise and godly counsel and you're able to speak with biblical clarity about the direction they should take, or if you're able to give to those who are weary a word in season, then clearly this may be the gift that God has given to you. Now, the word of wisdom should not be confused with pop psychology. They're not not alike at all. Uh, worldly wisdom and common wisdom, God gives to everybody. Everybody has that kind of wisdom. But this is different. This is a biblical-based or biblically-based wisdom 
that God gives to a person to give the right word at the right time in the right circumstances. And may the Lord grant this gift to us uh, here at Calvary. It's to build up the saints, of course. The word of knowledge is the next one, number 16. Some teachers also believe that this was a temporary gift based on 1 Corinthians 13.8 where it says, if there is knowledge, it will be done away. And so this gift was likely given to the men the Spirit of God moved to write the word, write down the Word of God. And that was the main purpose, was for them to write down the Scripture uh, that we currently have today. So their gift was given to the entire church, and we enjoy it to this day. The fact that God used men in the first century, and we now enjoy the New Testament today, some 2,000 plus years later, tells me that God used them in a very specific way for the benefit or the upbuilding of the entire church. And so it was a gift for the entire church, and we enjoy it today. I believe that this is an inactive gift today because the Lord is not writing the scripture anymore, and it's uh, completed for us. All right, so let's go on. Next one is faith, number 17, faith. Every believer must have faith in order to be saved. God has given us uh, his word. In his word, we are told that we are sinners. Um, we are told that it is by grace through faith that we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when a person simply takes God at his word and he says, you know what? I believe you. I believe what you say, Lord, and that, that my salvation is not based on anything good that I can do, but rather what Jesus Christ has already done for me. I believe. That's faith. That's simply trusting God at his word. And uh, everybody needs that in order to be saved. Every believer must live by faith, the scripture tells us. That is, they must trust the Lord daily uh, for his provision and for his help. But the gift of faith is a little different. It's a special gift from the Holy Spirit of God, and it's demonstrated by individuals who have a deep and growing trust in God. And I want to ask you, is this your gift? Is this your gift? A person who has the gift of faith sees obstacles in the way as a challenge to their faith. And they trust God to move mountains that stand in the way of accomplishing his purposes. So you remember uh, Joshua and Caleb. You remember the children of Israel. They were approaching the promised land. They came to the borders. Uh, Joshua uh, sent them, or Moses sent them in. Joshua and Caleb and ten others went in to spy out the land. They all looked at the same thing. Everybody saw the same picture. They saw a land flowing with milk and honey. They saw grape clusters that were so large that they had to carry them on a pole between two people on their shoulders. Um, they saw houses that were already built, vineyards that were already planted, fruit trees that were bearing an abundance of fruit. They all saw the same thing. And when they came back and they reported their findings, Joshua and Caleb stood up and they said, God has given us a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go take it. Those are, those are men of faith. They believed what God was about to do. 
and ten others who saw the very same thing said to the nation, no, there are giants in the land. They have fortified cities. The faith people are saying, yeah, they're fortified cities that we can now enjoy. And uh, the 10 persuaded 2 million people to abandon God and to abandon his promise and, to, and to, to not to trust him. 10 doubters and two people of faith. Wow. But they were men of faith, Joshua and Caleb. And it's interesting to note that the carcasses of that entire generation lay on the, the desert sand. Uh, they never did get into the promised land. And the 10 spies who doubted God never did get into the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb, even though they had to suffer with the rest of the unbelievers, um, they entered into the promised land that they believed God would give to them, and they enjoyed the benefits. And even in his old age, Caleb, I think it was, said, I think Joshua said, you know, what do you want? Caleb said, give me this mountain for God. You know, he wanted even more. He, he wasn't afraid even in his old age to trust God for great things. That's the life of faith. Could this be your gift? If you see the same difficult circumstances that everyone else sees, and yet you can rally the saints and encourage them to trust God through the difficulties, then maybe you have faith like Joshua and Caleb. This may be your gift. If you're like Daniel and you pray in opposition to the king's command, or you're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you would rather face the fire and the flames than bow the knee to false gods, then great is your faith. Maybe this is your gift. If you are like David, and you stand up to spiritual opposition, and you're ready to slay the Goliath in your own life, then this might be your gift. If you've already experienced victories in your life, and you long to grow more and more in your faith, and you, like David, can say, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall, then prove the Lord's word is true by living all out for God. If you read the word of God and it moves you to say, I will take God at his word, I will trust him, and I will live in such a way that if God fails me, I'm sunk. But you know deep down that God will never fail you. Maybe this is your gift. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. When something is humanly impossible and God accomplishes it in response to faith, then the glory is God's. Faith dwells on the unshakable truth of God's word and his ability and his willingness to fulfill his word. Faith is not based on sight. The Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith believes what God says on every subject from creation to salvation. And, they, and faith believes what God says. Even if the entire world is in opposition, a person who has this gift believes God. It's motivating when we read Hebrews chapter 11 and we see all of the heroes of faith in there and how challenging it is to read about them 
and to read about great men and women who have uh, gone before us in, in more recent history, such as George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, Dwight L. Moody, and, and so many others who have trusted in God. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that these men and women ex exhibited the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is an active gift. Faith speaks. <laughs> it says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it shall be done. You see a mountain or an opposition or something standing between you and accomplishing the will of God. You can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it will be done. Do you believe that? If you do, maybe you have the gift of faith. Faith sacrifices as Abel, Abraham, Moses, Moses' parents did. Faith moves to action. It says, by faith, Noah built an ark. What a stupid thing to do if he didn't have faith. Okay? He was on dry land. It had never rained. All of the things were against him, and there was great opposition. And yet, by faith, he was moved to action, and he built an ark. Joshua brought down the walls of Jericho. David slew Goliath. Daniel prayed. Others resisted kings. Faith moves one to action. Faith also lives in light of eternity. I think of Abraham, who was promised the promised land. And uh, he lived in tents. Because he looked for the city whose builder and maker is God. Every day the question rings out to us, can God be trusted? Can he be trusted in these circumstances, in this situation? And the answer of faith is yes. The, the man or woman of faith answers back with an unqualified yes. God can be trusted in every circumstance, in every difficulty, in every trial, in every blessing. The gift of faith is given not just for that person's own benefit, but for the benefit of the entire church, that is, the building up of the body. It is said <clears throat> that the Scottish reformer, John Knox, cried out to God at one point, God, give me Scotland or I die. He was a, uh, his was a bold faith, asking God to release Scotland from the tyrannical rule of a Roman Catholic queen. But who is there among us who will cry out, Lord, give me Fremont or I die. Give me the East Bay or I die. Give me California or I die. That's the kind of trust in God that a man or a woman of faith can have. Is this, the God, is this the gift God has given you? And I would cry out, oh Lord, give us a church filled <laughs> with people who have this gift, a gift of faith. Number 18, <clears throat> discernment um, or discerning of spirits. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It is a supernatural gift given by the Spirit of God to help the church discern whether a person who is speaking and is speaking in the name of the Lord is speaking by the Holy Spirit or is speaking by demonic spirits. 
If you find yourself listening to messages by a teacher and you're going, eh, it doesn't sound quite right. There's something wrong with what is being said here. And uh, you perceive what it is that is wrong, not just that it's wrong, but what it is that they're saying that is wrong, this may be your gift. If you have a private conversation with somebody and you're sharing the gospel with them or you're sharing with somebody who claims to be a believer um, and you're sharing scripture with them and you're listening to what they're saying and uh, you're discerning that there is error in their beliefs, God may have given you this gift of discernment. If you're able to quickly distinguish between truth and error, this could be your gift. But the gift is more than just seeing the error. It's the ability to counter the error um, with truth. And uh, this gift, we're describing the body, the body of Christ. And this gift is something like our own body's immune system that serves to protect our bodies. When our immune system detects disease-causing organisms, it resists them. That's how the gift works in the church, the gift of discerning of spirits. Someone with this gift may detect a heretic or a false teacher or error in someone's beliefs and stand against them in opposition. But if the person is actually open to teaching, open to counsel, um, they can correct them as well. It's meant to protect the church. And I think of um, that wonderful couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who heard Apollos teaching and recognized that there was something not quite right in his teaching. And uh, it says in the scripture, not that they just opposed him and they blackballed his name because he was teaching falsely. Rather, it says that they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And it made him a more effective teacher from then on. And you read about him um, as Paul writes about him at various points in the New Testament. One with this gift is always on guard for the health of the entire body. Resisting false teaching, encouraging right living, and explaining the Word of God more accurately. And there's a great need for this gift today. Wow. There is... Uh, there are so many crazy ideas bombarding people uh, today. There's false teaching from cults, and there's blatant error by televangelists. There are worldly influences that distract the people of God, and there, is, there are the lies and deception of the evil one uh, against believers. God uses a person with this gift to protect his people. By the way, uh, the gift of discernment is not the gift of criticism. Um, many people think it is, but it's not. In fact, there is no such gift as the gift of criticism. <laughs> this gift, like all gifts, is meant for the health of the entire body. And if this is your gift, use it to edify the body of Christ. Do you have the gift of discerning of spirits? Then use it. Use it for the Lord. Number 19, hospitality. Hospitality is a great gift and should be exercised by all of us. 
I, I don't personally believe that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit like the other gifts that we talked about. I put it here simply because there are some people who put it in the list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think it falls really or fits better under the category of serving or giving or showing of mercy. I don't think it's a separate gift. And I think this uh, that, that the use of hospitality or the expression of hospitality should be demonstrated by all of us, not just some of us. Hospitality, what is it? It's a love of strangers. That's what the word means. It's love strangers. And you do that um, in, in many different ways. It is a gift or it is a trait that is required in elders. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8 says that. But we are all called to show hospitality. Paul writes in Romans 12, 13 that we are to be given to hospitality. It should be something that comes uh, very frequently and, and naturally to us that we just open our hearts and open our homes to um, others, both saved and unsaved. Peter agrees and writes, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And every time I read that passage, I, I chuckle because you have to remember that, that uh, there was a story in the, Old, in the uh, New Testament where the house was crowded with people and Jesus was healing people so much that they were pressing into the house and there were people spilling out into the streets. And four guys decided, hey, I know what to do. Let's get our friend to see Jesus. But they couldn't, couldn't get him through the crowd, so they said, let's bust the roof open. This was Peter's house. It really belonged to him. It was his place. We don't often think of that. But they, they broke into the roof of his house and they let down his friend so that the friend might be healed. Who had to pay for that repair? Who had to fix the roof? It was probably Peter. Okay? The Bible is silent on that issue. Hospitality costs. I'll tell you that right now. Okay? But it's Peter who says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Okay? I don't know if he grumbled that day, but if he did, he learned his lesson, and he's telling us, don't grumble, and you show hospitality. And in Hebrews 13.2, it says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. For those who have never shown the gift of hospitality, why not? Why not? You say, oh, well, I don't have a home that I can do... Matt Clark takes people out all the time. Sorry to, to, to point you out, Matt, but I mean, he, he has a place. It's not his place, but he still has people over. But when, when he doesn't, he takes them out. He's always showing hospitality. You don't have to have a place. You can take people out to a restaurant. You can just come alongside and help them in their place, you know? There's a lot of ways to show hospitality. Open your homes, open your hearts, open your wallet. Show your love by exercising hospitality. Okay, that's not even a spiritual gift, but just do it. Okay, and the 20th uh, one on the list is celibacy. So again, some people think this is a gift of the Holy Spirit, um, a spiritual gift. I, I don't think it is in the same sense either. Um, if we include this as a spiritual gift, then we also must include marriage. Because Paul says, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, that is celibacy, and one in another. And that, of course, is marriage. 
The New Living Translation states it this way, But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. It is my opinion that this is not a spiritual gift, but God's grace to either be single or to be married. And, and we both need grace in, in both cases. My wife has to put up with me, and uh, there's a lot of grace that she has to show. I told I, I think I shared this with you once before, that... that she came to me one day, and, I, and she said, you know, I don't know what gift I have. And, and, and um, we talked about, I said, well, you're, you're this, and you're that, and you're the other. I said, what do you think you have? And she said, well, long-suffering. <laughs> and she was talking about putting up with me. That was the context of it, long-suffering. She has the gift of long-suffering. That's not a spiritual gift either, but it's a trait of the gifts of the... Uh, of the Spirit. It's true. Anybody who has put up with me for this long has to have that as a, as a gift. Okay, so spiritual gifts. Just to summarize what we've learned so far, and we still have two more to go. Um, if we include, if we look at the spiritual gifts, they're to be used to build up the body of Christ. But if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to control the gifts that he has given to us, uh, then our gifts really will amount to nothing. Teachers may teach falsely. Those with the gift of serving may slack off. Exhorters may rebuke rather than encourage. Leaders may become distracted and steer the ship off course. Those with the gift of showing mercy may do it with a bad attitude. Those with discernment may simply have a critical spirit. It is possible for someone with the gift of tongues to, to simply be a loud noise or a prophet to speak with no effect, and someone with the gift of faith to totally miss the mark, and a giver to give for all the wrong reasons. Just as our physical bodies can become sick, so can the body of Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, and if we allow them to become fleshly, then our strengths will actually become our greatest weaknesses. And there is a cure. And Matt talked about that cure last week. And that is to do or express whatever gift we have, demonstrate our gift with love. And that has to be overriding everything. If we do, if we, if we exercise our gift in love, uh, that is the more excellent way. Okay. Chapter 14. I told you we'd get there. Paul Immediately in this, at the end of chapter 12, he talks about seeking the better gifts. And then immediately in chapter 14, he says, um, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And it's interesting that he is putting this one uh, in first place, uh, the gift of prophecy. Because the problem in Corinth was that they were putting tongues in first place. And Paul is going to take almost the entire chapter 14 to describe why that's not a, such a good idea and that it is not the best gift. Tongues is not the best gift. So let's talk about this a little bit. So the next gift, which is number nine on your chart, is the gift of tongues. And it was and probably still is the most controversial gift of them all. It is a supernatural gift that was given to certain individuals to speak a known 
foreign language. And I want to emphasize that. It was a known foreign language without ever having to learn it. Tongues were a sign gift, especially to the nation of Israel. And they were a sign gift of judgment. So a lot of churches today, particularly among the charismatic churches, use this as evidence that you are filled with the Spirit of God and that you speak in tongues and that this is a blessing. But it wasn't designed that way. That's not really what God gave the gift for. The gift of tongues was actually a sign of judgment. And so I want to read a passage. Um, in fact, it's in this chapter 14. Let me go down to verse 21 for a minute. It says, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that, they will not hear me. That verse is taken out of Isaiah, where God is speaking very specifically about judgment that is about to fall upon Israel because they would not listen to God. And so the idea is this, that God came to Israel pleading with Israel in simple words that they would understand. And he sent the prophets to them, pleading with them to turn from their sin, to come back to God, and to trust in him. And they refused. And God says, okay, then I am going to give you foreign tongues. And this will be a sign of judgment. The next voice you hear will not be mine. And who... What voice did they hear? It was the voice of the Babylonians that came and invaded the land and then took them away. And so it was a sign of judgment. It was not a sign of blessing. So here you go forward now into um, the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to his own people and his own people rejected him. And he spoke to them in words they could understand. And they rejected those words. And they crucified him. They nailed him to a cross. And they said, we will not have this man reign over us. And the first sign uh, of the early church was was the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the believers and them speaking in tongues, foreign tongues again. Now, it is interesting to note that God, in his grace and in his mercy, used Peter on the day of Pentecost to stand up, and the other disciples too, to stand up and speak so that the people who were there in town that day understood what they were saying in their own language. So they weren't speaking in Hebrew. They were speaking in the language of the people who had gathered to Jerusalem, and 3,000 people trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That was a blessing. And the Lord overruled that gift at that time. But the gift of speaking in tongues at that moment was still a judgment. It was to warn Israel that judgment was about to fall on them. And in, in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. Where, where Rome came in, they, they um, judged Jerusalem and Israel. They destroyed the temple and scattered Israel to the four corners of the earth. It is only in our generation that Israel has basically returned back to the land. That's 2,000 years of judgment. And that's what the gift of tongues was really meant to show at the time. That's one of the reasons that God gave tongues, was as a judgment. It clearly says that in chapter 14. So God, um, the gift of tongues, and we're going to read this more next week, is a sign 
to unbelievers, but specifically to unbelieving Israel. Since this was a gift uh, meant to warn unbelievers, Paul is really emphasizing that here. He's, He's really saying, does it make sense that the Corinthians should embrace this gift as a primary gift among believers? It doesn't make sense. That's not the way the gift was meant to be used. So the gift of tongues was abused in Corinth, and, it is, and its so-called use is abused today. Almost three chapters of this book are devoted to um, the abuse of tongues. Tongues was being promoted as a prized gift. It was the premier gift. It was the gift you all must have. And today it's the same thing. You go to a charismatic church and it's really the gift that is emphasized above all other gifts. And it's, it's almost like a sign that you really are a Christian if you speak in tongues. It's not true. Uh, much of it, most of it I would say, is actually senseless babble with confusion. Now, that's the first reason the gift was given. The second reason the gift was given is that tongues uh, at the very beginning of the church was to authenticate the message and the messengers of the gospel. The very first place we see this is in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I believe, as I said earlier, that the manifestation of the gift of tongues was for the benefit of the Jewish believers, of the Jewish unbelievers, pardon me, because there was a large crowd in Jerusalem at that time from every nation under heaven. And when the mixed nation heard these untrained Galileans speaking their own language, they were amazed. It says that in Acts chapter 2. And then Peter stood up with the other disciples, spoke to them in their own language, and 3,000 people trusted in Jesus Christ that day. So we see that is a proper use of the gift of tongues. And it validated the message. And then finally, in chapter 14, verse 26, it's for the edification of all believers. So let's take a look. We're going to go through a few verses in 1 Corinthians, and then we'll finish up next week. Verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So if you remember what we heard last week, that love must be the motivating factor behind the use of all gifts, Paul says here, pursue love. And it's important that the local church desires the greatest gifts, the greater gifts. And so Paul is making a contrast, and you'll see this contrast back and forth throughout this chapter. On the one hand, you have the gift of tongues. On the other hand, you have the gift of prophecy. And Paul says very, very clearly throughout this chapter that between the two gifts, there is one that is greater than the others, and it is not tongues. It's prophecy. And so he says, prophecy is a greater gift. In what sense is prophecy a greater gift? Aren't all gifts gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are there now categories? Yeah, there are. Prophecy is greater. In what sense? 
Prophecy is given in the language of the people who are in the audience so that they understand and are benefited from it. Tongues are spoken in a foreign language that nobody understands unless you happen to be a person of that native tongue. So he says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So this is part of the contrast between tongues and prophecy. What benefit is the gift of tongues to a congregation of believers? There is none. There is none. Because the one who exercises this gift speaks to God, not to men. He says that. So the church sitting in an audience, listening to somebody babbling on in a foreign language, gets no benefit from it at all. There is no benefit. There is no upbuilding. There is no edification, which is what the gifts are for. And so if somebody is just babbling on in a foreign language, there is no benefit. No one understands a thing the person is saying. So to the audience, the message provided by the one exercising the gift of tongues... It, it's just mysteries. It's simply mysteries. The message remains hidden. But he takes up the gift of prophecy, and he says, the one who speaks this gift speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And so the benefits are clearly seen, and, and they're enjoyed by the entire church because they're spoken, in our case, in the English language so that we would understand. And the saints are built up. And the saints are exhorted to action, and the believers are comforted. Hearing and understanding the message is far better than being exposed to meaningless sounds. How many of you have ever sat in an audience or have ever happened to flip a television uh, station and it's a foreign language station? How many of you have enjoyed that? How many of you have stayed longer than about two or three seconds on that channel? I mean, let's be honest. Why Why do you change the channel? It's meaningless to you. It doesn't mean a thing to you. And if you came into a congregation and somebody was speaking in tongues without an interpreter, and they're just babbling on and on and on, you go, I'm not getting any benefit out of this. I've been, I've traveled to Europe. I've been in 13 different countries. I've gone to churches where they speak their own language, and it's totally meaningless to me. I'm happy for them that they all understand and are going, oh, you know, and, you know, hallelujah. I understood that word. It's the same in every language. Hallelujah, you know? But that was it. It says, verse 4, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So this is another contrast. If gifts are given for personal enrichment, then let's all speak in tongues, okay? But that's not why they're given. What tongues... um, uh, gifts are given not for personal benefit, but they're given to build up or to benefit or to edify the church. And so, between the two gifts, prophecy would be preferred. Paul says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul is not forbidding the use of tongues. In fact, 
how wonderful it would be if we all spoke a foreign language and we could all get up and get on a plane tomorrow afternoon and go to whatever country that tongue belonged to and preach the gospel in that language. That would be wonderful if God granted that to us. And by the way, this is just an aside here, I know of no charismatic church on the planet who does not have to send their missionaries out after language training. It is not a spiritual gift today that they claim. The gifts of tongues in the early church was a gift where it was a language, a known language that was understood by people who spoke that language. There is not a single charismatic church on the planet who sends missionaries out without first learning the language the normal way. It just doesn't happen. Okay? Why not? Because the gift doesn't exist anymore. But it would be wonderful if we all had the gift of tongues and could get on a plane and go to whatever country that tongue belonged to and speak the gospel, preach the gospel in that foreign tongue. What a powerhouse that would be for the gospel. But how little would the church be edified if we all came here and just babbled on in foreign languages? Better still if all the Corinthians prophesied, for that is a greater gift because the entire church would be edified. Paul adds one way that tongues would benefit the church, and that is if there is an interpreter, the gift of interpretation. We'll talk about that next week. If the tongue is interpreted, and we have occasions uh, where we've actually experienced that, where a foreign missionary will come in their native language, and there's somebody to interpret. Uh, Eddie, you've done this uh, in other places where, where you have uh, people speaking your native tongue, and you're interpreting it into English. Is that true? Yeah. And, and the other way too, maybe? Yeah. He came to Lebanon and he didn't know any Arabic. Right. So he preached in English and they asked me to interpret for right. English to Arabic. Yeah, but you learned both languages. Oh, yeah, I learned both <laughs> Right. So, but, but even that is, is a, a proper following of the scripture where if there's a foreign language being stated, it has to be interpreted. Otherwise, nobody gets the benefit from it. Maybe Eddie gets the benefit of it, and that's it. Okay. If the tongues are interpreted, then the saints can be edified. But that apparently was not happening in Corinth. So let's to conclude today, do this. We see that whatever gift the Lord has given to us is given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. He has given you a specific gift and it is meant for you to use, to exercise, for the benefit of the entire body of believers. And you're to exercise it in love. And in this section, Paul is emphasizing that the greatest gifts are those used to edify the entire body. What is your spiritual gift? Do you know? Do you know what your gift is? And if you do, are you exercising your spiritual gift in the church? And if not, why not? And is your gift being exercised in love? And can you describe how you are exercising your spiritual gift to build up the body of believers here at Calvary Bible Chapel? Think about it this week. Think about what your gift might be. Think about how you can benefit the entire body. Because I'll tell you this, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has given you at least one if not more, spiritual gifts. And it is meant for the health and the building up of the body here at Calvary.
Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your concern for the church. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit of God who has given gifts to the church and that, Lord, we want to use them uh, to build up the body. Teach us, Lord, what our gifts are. Help us, Lord, to exercise them effectively. Help us to exercise them in love and help us, Lord, to uh, see where we can strengthen the body, build up the body, encourage and edify. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.